Sadness and revelation of truth are revealed now in the Forever Man in chapter 6. Months slip by. Simon continued as choir director and attendance at John Wesley Methodist Church was full to capacity. The people returned each Sunday. A second contemporary service was added at 9.30 Sunday mornings. A whole group of musicians came together for that service, and many of the younger families chose to attend at that time. But the attendance at the second traditional service at 11 a.m. remained just as full and joyful. Things were happening. As Christmas approached, Ezra Johnson received a phone call that he had not expected. It came at 3 a.m. His mother had been rushed to the hospital, and she had passed away. The drive from Madison Acres to Phillipsburg was a lonely one. He met his sisters, their husbands and children, at the funeral home. Snow was falling. When they went to the graveside, a tent had been set up to help protect the family from the elements. It helped keep the wind out. Ezra was stoic. Though the crowd was small, they all did their best to fit beneath the tent. The pastor gave his message and those present were given flowers to place upon the casket. When the service was over, his sisters wanted him to return home with them, but he begged off, telling them that he wanted to get back before the snow became too deep. He had left his car at the funeral home to ride in the limo with the family, and he had asked the driver to take him back so he could get his car. When they got to the funeral home, he walked to his car, opened the door, and got in. He sat there for a moment, shivering from the cold, and then put the key in the ignition and started the car. It was a large Buick. He was about to put it in gear when a voice spoke from behind him. Ezra yelled and whipped around. Someone was in the back seat. It was Simon. How did you... I'm sorry, Ezra. I didn't mean to startle you. I'm back here because there's more room for me. I wanted to be here for you. I thought someone should be. You scared me. I know. I'm really sorry. Simon, how did you get here? Did someone give you a ride? It's not important how I got here, Ezra. Your mother's gone. I wanted to be here in case you wanted to talk to me. We all need a friend, especially at a time like this, Simon said. Okay, but we'd better start now. The snow is piling up, and it gets really deep in these mountains. We have to get past State College and over seven mountains and to a lower elevation. I I do appreciate that you made the effort for me. I'm really glad to have someone to talk to. My mom and I were not close. It was my fault. She tried her best, but I did something that drove us apart. I, I feel guilty now. I can't talk about it with my sisters. They don't know about it. No one does. Ezra spoke as he drove, and he was a skillful driver used to the winter snows of central Pennsylvania. What you've done at church and at Madison Acres, Ezra said, I haven't done anything, Simon said. It's the master's work. I know, I know, you you never take credit for anything. You always give the master the credit. 
I wish I could be like you. Have your faith. I've never known anyone like you, Simon. And I do need a friend right now, I really do. Ezra's voice broke with these words, and Simon reached over the seat and gently placed his massive hand on his shoulder. You have a friend. The great friend, Ezra. He's in the car here with us. He promised that he would always be where two or more gathered together in his name. But that's just it, Simon. No one could forgive me for what I've done. No one. I've lived in hell for twenty years because of what I did. I can't be forgiven. I've made my life a prison without emotion, and I never let others get close. I don't dare. That's not true. When he hung on the cross, he called upon his father to forgive everyone there. And they were putting him to death in the most horrible way possible. Do you think his father did not honor his request? I don't know. It's a story, a story in an old book. How do you know it's true? How can anyone know the truth? Let me assure you, Ezra, I know the truth. When I speak, it is his truth, not my own. I'm but one of his children, and I love him with all my heart. I travel about the world doing his will. I seek those who are poor, hurt, lost, afraid, and tormented. I show them his love. And he sustains me in this work, the big man said. I believe you are my friend, Ezra said. I've watched you since you came to us. It's true that you care about everyone, and that I'm afraid to care about anyone. You reach out, and I shrink away from others. You're not afraid of even making a fool of yourself, and I'm terrified of what others would think of me if they knew the truth. If you'd hear my story, I'll tell it to you. I must tell someone before I die. Perhaps you can give me absolution. Only the master can do that, Simon said softly. Tell me. I told you I would listen. But I won't judge you, because I am commanded not to judge anyone. My father loved his work. He was a loyal employee. The most loyal of all. When necessary, he gave his weekends to the company, and he did so more often than not. My sisters were not as close to him as I was. He was a good father, or as good as he could be given the circumstances of his work. The company demanded, and he performed. And then they fired him. Just like that, it was over. They stripped away the meaning of his life, ripped it from him. He was a broken man. He'd gone to church and enjoyed it greatly, but he stopped going. He quit everything that interested him, started drinking secretly. He'd go to the garage behind her house and drink. When he was gone, I found all the bottles hidden away in the walls and under the floor. I tried to reason with him, but he wouldn't listen to me. I tried to get him to come to church, and he wouldn't go. I urged him to look for another job, one that suited to his years of experience, and he said that he would not allow anyone to ever hurt him again. And then he had a stroke. He was in the hospital. The doctor told us that he might not recover because it was a bad stroke and there was a lot of damage. 
It was all wired up with tubes and machines and needles sticking in them. It made me want to scream. What happened next was terrible. I can't accept it to this day. The very man who fired my father walked into his hospital room. I was alone with my father at that moment. I knew who he was. He'd been my father's boss for 12 years. He looked at me and said how sorry he was. My father was lying there, comatose. He couldn't respond to me, let alone anyone else. I screamed at the man. I said, what the hell are you doing here? You have no right to be here. You killed him. You killed my father. You put him in this room, in this bed. Have you come to give him back his job? It's too damn late for that. The man started to cry. I didn't care. His remorse meant nothing to me. I screamed at him, Get the hell away from him! Go! Get out! I hope you burn in hell for what you've done to my father. If I ever see your face again, I will go to prison because of what I will do to you. He stepped towards me. I know now that he wanted me to forgive him, but I did not know it at the time. I'm not a big man, Simon, but I hit him in the face and knocked him down, and then I kicked him. My mother came into the room at that moment, and she yelled at me to stop. He got to his feet, rubbing his face, and blood was streaming from his nose. Again, he said he was sorry, and then he turned and left. I was ready to run after him when my mother grabbed me by the arm and held on. I almost dragged her out of the room in my rage. But she would not let go, pleading with me, Don't! Don't! No more! Stop! Finally, I did stop. I sat down in a chair and cried. She tried to comfort me, but I pushed her away. I could not understand the unfairness what had been done to my father, and I could not accept the man's plea for forgiveness. She stood over me for a long time, and then she left the room. It felt like hours had passed. She came into the room, and I was still there. It was time to go home. Visiting hours were over. She had no intention of leaving, so she went down the hall to the waiting room, where she would spend the night in the chair. My father died that night while I slept in a chair in his room. I woke up and the warning bells were going off, when the room was filled with doctors, nurses, and my mother. I jumped up, not knowing what to do, and I was pushed out of the way. I left the room and stood in the hall because there was no room for me. I was crying. He died, and I'd not known it. My whole world was crashing down around me. Two weeks later, my father's boss, his name was Harry Sampson, put a bullet through his head and killed himself. And I was glad he did it. I was glad he was dead, just like my father. It made me feel better. I laughed when I heard about it. I even went to the funeral home and sat in the back so I could watch his family in their grief. We had buried my father eight days before his funeral. But there was something I didn't know about Harry Sampson, something about him that I'd learned soon enough. I was in the kitchen with my mother. No one else was at home. It was a week after Sampson's funeral. I said to her, I'm glad that SOB is dead. He killed Dad. He took, he took him away from us, from me. My mother looked at me, and the look on her face was terrible. 
she said, Ezra, how dare you? You don't even know who Harry Sampson was. He and your dad were in the army together. They fought side by side. He saved your father's life. Your dad never told you because he didn't talk about the war. He got your dad his job in the first place. He didn't fire your father. Yes, he was his boss at work, but another man fired your father, not Harry. Harry went to work and confronted the man who fired your father. He stood up to him. It didn't do any good. They fired Harry, too. He came to the hospital that day to explain all of this to me, but you drove him away. He called me the next day and told me what had happened. I was too upset to tell you. He was totally broken by the fact that the son of his great friend, your father, hated him so much. You judged him without knowing the truth. He was going through the same things your father was dealing with. He was out of a job. He was trying to find work. He was just as angry and desperate and disillusioned as your dad. Tell me, Ezra, please tell me that you can forgive Harry Sampson. He loved your dad. The only reason he did not come to see him was because he was going through the same things. So you see, Simon, I killed a man, my father's friend. I killed him just as if I had taken the gun, pointed it at his head, and pulled the trigger. I took him from his wife and his children because of my emotions, because I lashed out in rage and lost all control, because I allowed myself to judge someone who was innocent. The tears were pouring down Ezra's face as he made his confession, and he managed to pull the car to the side of the road. A man died because of my anger, an anger that should not have been directed at him. I drove him to his death. I pushed him over the edge and killed him. I took Harry Sampson from his family. He saved my father in war. He stood up for my dad when they fired him, and he lost his own job because of his loyalty and friendship with my dad, and I killed him. This is why I don't believe. This is why I don't get close to people or allow them to get close to me. This is why I observe the rules and the regulations, why I keep to myself. If there's a God, what would he want with the likes of me? I was Judas to Harry Sampson. He came to me seeking solace because of his love for my dad, and I rejected him. He took his own life with his own hand because of me. That's a sin, isn't it? I drove him to it. How can anyone forgive such a terrible thing? Ezra wept, and Simon remained silent. Finally, when Ezra's tears began to slow, he turned onto the highway and began their journey once again. The big man did not speak for a long time after that. When he did speak, they had passed by State College descending from seven mountains, and were going by the city of Lewistown, Pennsylvania, when Simon broke his silence. You've lived within your torment for far too long, Ezra. It's time you lived again in freedom from this pain. 
You could not possibly know what Harry Sampson was to your dad, because your father had never explained his relationship with the man, and there was no possible way you could have known it. No one told you. You were ignorant of the truth. You did not kill Harry Sampson. He took his own life. You are not to blame. It's not for either of us to judge another. We have been explicitly told never to judge others by the master himself. It's a command, not a suggestion. I'm older than you, Ezra. Far older. I don't expect you to understand or accept everything I tell you immediately. But I will tell you this. You will soon know the answers to your questions. As I often say to you, all in due time, my friend. I will tell you this much. I go where I am sent. I was sent to Madison Acres because of you. Now I will be silent. You can keep your own thoughts for the remainder of our journey. Be at peace. Ezra was lost in his own pain. He had told his story. It was hard to accept that he was not at fault. Mr. Sampson had died, and he was his father's friend. His guilt was not assuaged. He drove his Buick in the snow. It had tapered off to flurries. He wanted to get both of them home safely. That was his goal. He would achieve it. All he had to do was be careful. He was very good at being careful. He had a lifetime of doing so.